Hello and welcome to Up Close and Classical. I'm Philip Lenberg. We're going to look at two American composers born just before the turn of the 20th century. These composers were pioneers in different ways in their music links musical and social ideas of old to new. The 1893 World's Fair took place in Chicago. Grover Cleveland was the president. It was 28 years after the end of the Civil War. Electricity was on display as the newest science to improve everyone's lives. Cracker Jacks and Wrigley's Chewing Gum made their debut, as well as spray paint and what they called the moving sidewalk. By the end of the fair, an incredible 43% of the population of the United States was estimated to have attended. As the women's suffrage movement was gaining in recognition, three concerts dedicated to the works of women composers were feature events at the fair, drawing approximately 15,000 people. Bertha Palmer, a wealthy socialite active in the promotion of women in the arts, commissioned a piece from a young New England composer for the opening of Chicago's new women's building. In the end, the piece was withdrawn due to whether or not her choral composition would be audible in the 32-acre manufacturer's building where the piece was to be performed. The end of the fair was marred by a number of issues, much worse than of composition being pulled. Just before the closing ceremonies, Chicago's mayor Carter Harrison was assassinated. Architecture had been a major exhibit of America's talent and wealth. Right after it closed, a fire destroyed many of those buildings on the fairgrounds. The fair ended up being a super spreader event for a smallpox epidemic that spread through Chicago. Amy Beach, the composer from New England who was commissioned to write this piece, was a child prodigy. She made her piano debut 
at the age of 15 in 1883, the same year she published her first piece. The day is cold and dark and dreary. It rains and the wind is never weary. The vine still clings to the moldering wall, and with every gust the dead leaves fall, and the day is dark and dreary. Two years later, she performed Chopin's second piano concerto with the Boston Symphony. Like the majority of women at the time, she married and was asked to limit her performing career. She shortened her busy performance schedule to two concerts a year. Instead, she focused primarily on composing from home and saw immediate success with her early compositions. Amy Beach was a mostly self-taught composer, consuming scores of every piece she could get her hands on like studying the Chopin Concerto by the age of 15, not to mention the enormous amount of piano literature, chamber music, symphonic repertoire, and other concertos she studied. Those influences run like undercurrents to her own compositional style. She was particularly fond of the Romantic period composers, and like many of the American composers at the end of the 19th century, she found special inspiration from the music and musical philosophies of the Czech composer Antonin Dvorak. Dvorak's influence on classical music reached across the pond, and he followed at the request and substantial monetary offer from Jeanette Myers Thurber a wealthy, conservatory-trained patron of classical music education and the advancement of classical music in the U.S. Thurber founded the National Conservatory of Music of America in New York in 1885. Her intention was to cultivate distinctly American styles of music by Americans. Unlike many of her contemporaries concerned with American musical culture, 
Thurber's concept of distinctly American meant the purposeful inclusion and equal treatment of all Americans, including women, people of color, and people with disabilities. Thurber's plan included inviting the famous Czech composer Antonin Dvorak to serve as director of the school and teach composition. Dvorak stayed only as long as his two-and-a-half-year contract required, but those two-plus years allowed him the time and distinctly American space to create three of his most beloved works, the cello concerto, American String Quartet number 12, and Symphony number 9, entitled From the New World. Dvorak was not the first well-known European composer to be auspiciously invited to the United States. Tchaikovsky was invited to perform during the opening week of Carnegie Hall in 1891. Johann Strauss II, you know the one. Strauss was invited to perform in Boston in 1872, and he wrote three waltzes for the occasion. Dvorak's influence on American composers came not only from Dvorak's musical style, but also from his philosophies of art and culture over the course of the 19th century. The growing sentiment of nationalism throughout Europe and the Americas 
surfaced in music as much as it did in art, literature, and the politics of the time. Artistic signs from the end of the 18th century through the 20th century paralleled the social movements of individual identity and equal, fair treatment. It's a complicated issue, nationalism, and the good, the bad, and the ugly of it continues to cycle and evolve through today. Dvorak, along with many of his European contemporaries, intentionally fashioned music to speak to and for those whose cultures, traditions, and identities had been supplanted by the ruling power. Just as Chopin's piano mazurkas and Polonaise dances represented the Polish people, Strauss waltzed for Vienna, Smetana wrote about rivers and landscapes, and Dvorak answered the call with folk-like melodies and dances and extra-musical folk and fairy tale themes from his native Bohemia. After arriving to the conservatory in New York, Dvorak was questioned about his intentions teaching American students. He said, I did not come to America to interpret Beethoven or Wagner. I came to America to discover what Americans had in them and help them express it. Dvorak urged Americans to look to the melodies of Native American music and African American spirituals. The middle and late works of Amy Beach show evidence of Dvorak's influence. Dvorak's tenure in New York inspired generations of other American composers born in the latter half of the 19th century. Boston, too, had developed a strong culture of classical music. Amy Beach's Gaelic Symphony was the first symphony published and performed by a woman in the United States. Its historic 1896 premiere was performed by the Boston Symphony.
both Dvorak's and Thurber's interest in providing arts education to all Americans enabled Dvorak's introduction to African-American spirituals through one of his conservatory students, Harry Burley. Burley published his arrangement of the spiritual Deep River as an art song. The solo concertizing of what was traditionally a congregational spiritual moved a traditional folk genre to a different kind of music for the professional concert stage. African-American spirituals became a new window Dvorak could open and hear that distinctly American sound, and not as an extension of the European continent. He felt the same upon hearing a variety of indigenous Native American music on his journey from New York to a small Czech-speaking farm village in Iowa. Florence Price wrote her first symphony in response to Dvorak's clarion call for American composers to explore their musical roots. With nods in homage to Dvorak, Price takes up the torch and makes it her own, burning bright from beginning to end of her groundbreaking first symphony. The Chicago Daily News published their review the next day. They called it a faultless work, a work that speaks its own message with restraint and yet with passion, worthy of a place in the regular symphonic repertoire. <laughs> ¶¶ 
it's extraordinary to me how she was somehow able to persevere through a life confronting racism and misogyny in both her personal life and in her career. In a letter to Serge Kusevitsky, the then legendary conductor of the Boston Symphony, Price wrote, To begin with, I have two handicaps, those of sex and race. She also wrote, Unfortunately, the work of a woman composer is preconceived by many to be light, frothy, lacking in depth, logic, and virility. Add to that the incident of race, I have colored blood in my veins, and you will understand some of the difficulties that confront one in such a position. Her mother sent 14-year-old Price to the New England Conservatory, noting her race as Mexican, complete with an address in Puebla. When Price was 40 years old, in 1927, she and her family moved from Little Rock to Chicago to escape rising racial tensions. That same year, Chicago had adopted a Jim Crow law focused on enforcing neighborhood segregation. In May, a 37-year-old black man named John Carter was gruesomely lynched by a psychotic mob of 7,000 people, with thousands more just watching in downtown Little Rock. Price was fortunate to have the means to move to Chicago, and that risk helped her career flourish. Price's compositions use both indigenous music and African-American spirituals as the main material in much of her work. Unlike Dvorak's or Beach's American-like tunes, Price's music often explores the melding of genres, familiar spirituals, allusions to Native American music, European romantic music, jazz. It is philosophical, skillfully interwoven, beautiful, and profound art music. Price's first symphony was premiered at the other Chicago World's Fair in 1933. It was the first piece by an African-American woman to have been performed by a renowned big city orchestra like the Chicago Symphony. The nods to Dvorak are not overt, but they aren't necessarily subtle either. 
just listen to the first theme of Dvorak's Ninth Symphony. and compare it to Price's first symphony. Those are just the first themes, but if we go on to the second theme of both symphonies, you'll notice an even closer resemblance. Dvorak. And Price. Price was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. A musical upbringing gave Price the opportunity to spend three formative years studying music in Boston at the New England Conservatory. One of her composition teachers, George Chadwick, was also the director of the conservatory. He was one of a group of composers commonly referred to as the Boston Six. The Boston Six ushered in an era of American classical music that emulated the more Germanic and British sensibilities of the European composers at the time. Price attended the same elementary school in Little Rock as William Grant Still, also a composition student of George Chadwick's and the first African-American composer to have a symphony performed by a major symphony orchestra. The members of the Boston Six include names that have since fallen out of fashion from the mainstream, except for maybe a recent resurgence of the music of the youngest member and the only woman of the group, Amy Beach. 
After graduating from the New England Conservatory with two music degrees at the age of 19, Price had moved from Arkansas to Atlanta, then back to Little Rock, before moving permanently to Chicago. The premiere of her first symphony in 1933 kick-started her career. As a result of that symphony's success, she was commissioned to write a piano concerto the following year. Price herself performed as the soloist in her Piano Concerto in One Movement, again premiered in Chicago. A close composer friend and one-time roommate of Price's, Margaret Bonds, would perform the piece after Price that same year. This piece, to me, is such a clear example of Price's ingenuity, with all ten fingers on the pulse of changing social and musical life trends and philosophies at the time. Her music is an extraordinary display of synthesizing old and new, accessible high art in true American fashion. It's not unusual for composers to fall into obscurity after they're gone, and the lucky ones find a resurgence through advocates in influential positions. Thankfully, we live in a time where advocacy is made a little easier, and representation of those traditionally underrepresented is a growing focus in mainstream society. There's no better time than right now to fold them into the mainstream of classical music in the 21st century. This show is produced in partnership with the Symphony of the Redwoods and the Ukiah Symphony Orchestra. Please consider supporting orchestral music in Mendocino County by visiting symphonyoftheredwoods.org and ukiahsymphony.org, as well as our social media pages, including Facebook and Instagram. Please join me for the next episode of Up, Close, and Classical. Until then, keep it classy and classical, Mendocino. See you next time.